Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. This is actually a special edition. Normally it's just me and you're stuck with just my voice for too long. But this time I asked for the services of Brian Toporek of Forbes Sports, of Fansided, of the Basketball Writers, also the host of the NBA Pod, which you can find on every single podcast listening platform. And the thing is that's interesting about Brian is that Brian covers the Philadelphia 76ers. And because of that, we got to have the unquestioned Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid debate. So what we did is we each picked three topics and we ran through them, whether it's advantage Nikola, advantage Joel. And we eventually got to the conclusion and we'll leave that for you to listen to, but for a very deeply nuanced and, you know, a little bit less than just the internet yelling at each other discussion about Nikola Jokic. I really wanted to go in depth, and Brian is as smart as anybody um, out there right now. So we had a great conversation about Nikola Jokic, about Joel Embiid, the different obstacles each one has to overcome, why some value Nikola over Joel. It was a great, great conversation, so definitely get excited about that, but we're also going to hit some news right here off the quick, uh, off, the, off the top as well, just because the Nuggets had some interesting, you know, things happened in the past few days. So, first and foremost, the Nuggets have now officially signed Tyler Cook to a two-way deal. I believe it was Nick Cosmider of The Athletic who was the first to report that. Um, it was either him or Mike, oh no, it was Mike Singer uh, of the Denver Post who reported that Tyler Cook was going to get a two-way deal. Nick Cosmider is also reporting that Bull Bull will, si- will likely sign a two-way deal as well. But also in Nick Cosmider's report, he's basically specified how the Denver Nuggets are not approaching their two-way contract the same way they have in years past. They're instead trying to cultivate competition between players who could potentially get those roles. So they're going to have P.J. Dozier at training camp on a training camp deal, which was already... um, confirmed today through a Nuggets team uh, team email where they just basically confirmed it and then Bol Bol who will be fighting for either the 15th roster spot or one of the last two-way spots so Tyler Cook will get one of the two ways, either Bull Bull or potentially P.J. Dozier or anybody else the Nuggets bring to training camp could get the other one, and then there also could be a player the Nuggets look to sign for the 15th roster spot. The Nuggets could look to sign Bull Bull to that. If P.J. Dozier just blows him away, they could sign him to it because the Nuggets need a third point guard and a fifth guard who can play on or off ball, and he fits that bill perfectly. So there's a lot of things that could happen here. Or the Nuggets could leave their 15th roster spot open, let P.J. Dozier walk, and then sign Bull Bull to a two-way deal and then use that last remaining open roster spot to either facilitate a trade to bring back more players than they send out or to use the buyout market. So that's kind of just the quick news update for where the Nuggets are, but now I have to first give you a couple quick words from some people who make the show what it is before getting into this Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid and debate. First and foremost, congrats or shout outs to Terrapin Care Station. They did great at the Cannabis Cup. They are also a great dispensary for all of your cannabis goods, whether you need dis- whether you need edibles, whether you need weed whether you need hash, whatever you may be looking for. Um, Terrapin Care Station absolutely has it. Also, the Regulators Production Group is the people who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. So make sure for any audio production needs, you go find Regulators Regime on Instagram or Rod Simba. That is R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A on Instagram. 
Lastly, this show is powered by Mile High Sports. So for any kind of sports coverage in the Denver metro area or really anywhere in Colorado from collegiate sports to motorsports to all the major sports, make sure to check out milehighsports.com. Now, before we go any further, here is a quick word from Terrapin Care Station before Brian and Toporik and I argue quite a bit about Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. He is a quality editor over at Bleacher Report. He is one of the hosts of the NBA pod, which is one of the most fun podcasts I have actually done. We sat there for like 45 minutes to an hour, just completely bullshitting. And I had so much fun. So make sure you subscribe to the NBA pod. But we are going to argue today. We are going to get into the great NBA Twitter debate of Nikola Jokic up against Joel Embiid, which honestly, this probably is a little bit non-consequential because they are so close in every single way that people try and compare. Whether it's all NBA voting, whatever it may be, even when you rank the top like 12 players, you either have Jokic and Embiid 11 and 12, or you have them like 8 and 9, depending on how you see Dame and people like that. So I'm just going to get into the weeds with it. And the way we're going to do this is we each have a list. We each have three separate advantages that we think that our respective player that we cover, whether it's you with Joel and Embiid or me with Nikola Jokic, and we're just going to argue about how we feel about them. There are going to be discrepancies. We might have similar ones. We do not know each other's lists so we're just going to dive into it and go so i'm just going to let you start it off what is the first one you have on your list cool well tj first off thanks for having me on um of course hope you're ready for battle today i'm sorry in advance for what sixers twitter does to your mentions Uh, um so (laughs) it's all good i'm prepared for the chaos (laughs) good good i'm gonna go the cheap route first I, i figure i'll go from the one where it's just so obvious he has the advantage and then we'll move into the more controversial ones a little bit later cool defense i think it's a it's a clear joel Embiid is better than nikola Jokic. if you're arguing otherwise i love you guys nuggets twitter <laughs> i love and i i want to make this clear right off the top i love nikola Jokic too like this is not i am not trying to dump on Jokic like a lot of people on sixers twitter do i think he's a great player joel Embiid is clearly a better defender he was sixth in the nba in blocks per game last year 10th in block percentage sixth in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim and you know you mentioned the nba pod we just had seth part now on on friday uh he was the bucks director of research for the past three years and worked for nylon calculus before he's back at the athletic now and we were talking about kind of stats advanced stats that get misused often and he brought up you know defensive field goal percentage allowed and how especially for wing players it's 
it's kind of iffy because you know it's only measuring what happened. A player took a shot, you make or miss it. You have variance involved there, and sometimes good defense, especially for wing players, is preventing those shots from ever going up. So I got nervous when we were having this conversation because I had already pulled up this list. I'm like, oh, you know, Joel Embiid, sixth in defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim. What a great thing going in his favor. But then Seth came back and said, well, you know what? The the, the percentage allowed at the rim is at least a little more uh, reliable just because if you're in that close to the basket, more often than not, you're shooting. And so you can kind of measure the deterrent factor there. So that's a long-winded way of saying Joel Embiid is not only good at blocking shots but he's also just good at harassing players within the you know the the tight perimeter around the hoop where it's like the gobert effect too you see this with rudy gobert a lot where where players are afraid to take shots they might normally take or they have to adjust their shot angles just because you've got the seven foot two behemoth standing at the rim who can very clearly alter your shot or come back and you know have these massive chase down blocks that you would never expect from a guy his size. <laughs> yeah. So you know I think there we go. That's all working in his favor. Defensive win shares too. He was seventh in the league mm-hmm. last year. So that's where I'm standing. I, I really bold take. I know. Joel really Embiid. bold take. You went Joel out on Embiid. the furthest limb to get that <laughs> defensive take off. But this is the thing. So I agree with everything you said. This is an undebatable topic, in my opinion, is that it is clear that Joel Embiid is the more impactful defender. I can already hear Nuggets fans in my ear talking about the Boston series against Al Horford. So if you got a rebuttal but to him getting played off the floor at different points, that is something that I think people need to hear because he has been fundamentally played off the floor in the playoffs when Nikola Jokic is not and again I agree with you but this is going to be the devil's advocate that gets thrown back and I'm just curious your thoughts on how that kind of plays out in this grand scheme of things yeah I think it's more I I mean first he never got played off the floor entirely um yeah you know especially you saw this past season against Toronto like the Sixers were an abomination without Mm -hmm. Joel Embiid on the floor they were you know game seven they lose by two points they were a minus 10 in his three minutes off the floor. <laughs> right? Like yeah, it's, that's... it's just like hard to fathom how bad they were in such limited time. So, yes. But for, for Horford in particular, I think Horford and Marc Gasol too, they're both just these veteran savvy guys who aren't the most athletically gifted, who are you know past the age of 30. They're both in their mid-30s at this point. You wouldn't expect them to have such success, but because they have that wealth of experience to draw on, they know his tricks. They, you know, they didn't fall for his pump fake all the time that a lot of younger bigs do tend to bite on. And, you know, Embiid has even come out and said, like, I don't know why people bite on this. I'm a 30% three-point shooter. Like, you should not <laughs> you should not defend yeah. me here. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped taking three-pointers at one point. He almost eliminated the entire shot from his game at one point. Right, right, for good reason, because he's yes. not a great three-point shooter. <laughs> but So I think Horford especially is just, like, he's always mm-hmm. been this guy who he's never going to put up big box score numbers, but he's just really smart. And he frustrates Embiid because he doesn't like Embiid has you know a ever growing arsenal of offensive moves mm-hmm. that I'm sure we'll talk about later. But if you don't bite on those moves, he didn't have a counter, and that's what got him into trouble against Horford in particular. 
the reason that I wanted to bring this up is because, especially like Andy Bailey's piece that's on Bleacher Report comparing Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic really hit this on the head. It's the way that the center position has evolved. Now there are more centers almost than not that are of the Marcus Gasol ilk, that are of those kind of Al Horfords, that are more intelligent, maybe more groundbound, but they're having those guard skills. They're a triple threat type player where they can pass, dribble, shoot. So because of that, as the league is altering, I feel like it's an important distinction to make because the, the more that the NBA continues to evolve, the more we're going to see these types of centers, in my opinion, which is going to lead into more of what Joel Embiid has struggled with. It is also fair to say that he has improved against those kinds of players. Like you said, he has the counter moves now. He's not just skying for every block anymore, either. You made that point a little bit earlier. Before, he was like Kenneth Fareed, kind of like, I'm going to (laughs) block everything. If the shot goes up, my arm's going at it. And he's, he's tempered himself, he's calmed it down a little bit, and it has improved his ability to stay on the floor in those kinds of moments, because he's not as erratic but Mm -hmm. like you said we're going to talk about the offense so I want to jump into mine real quick which of course it's easy to say Nikola Jokic is the better passer better creator I don't want to go that route because it's boring Nikola Jokic is a more threatening offensive player as a whole than Joel Embiid is in my opinion and this comes down to a couple things yes I know Joel Embiid has the raw statistics yes I know he has like the most ridiculous points per hundred possessions in league history (laughs) he's like up there with Michael Jordan it's like I understand all of those ideas but His basketball IQ on the offensive end of the floor still leaves a lot to be desired for me. He's a guy who makes the wrong decision just as often as he makes the right decision, whether it comes to trying to post up and force things or whether it's trying to make passes that don't fit or like you were talking about the three-point shooting that just doesn't make sense to me when and why he is taking them. And the other thing is, his in-between game is not nearly as existent as Nikola Jokic's is. Nikola Jokic is a floater king. He's got, like, the absolute medal for it on 2K to where you don't (laughs) miss floaters for the rest of your life. Like, it's absolutely insane the way that he has become that legit three-level scorer, but lethal in the mid-range, not just passable. So when you start getting the three-level score mixed with the actual decision-making processes and the playmaking, despite the raw numbers, I would say Nikola Jokic is a more threatening offensive player. What do you think about that? I hate to be contrarian, but I don't entirely disagree. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is a win for me. I thought you were going to disagree with this one. So I think there's one place where Embiid does have a clear advantage over Jokic, and not just in terms of raw points per game, but the fact that he's just a much more physical interior presence than Jokic, I would argue. So he is much more adept at drawing free throws, getting to the Mm -hmm. free throw line. He's basically the James Harden of big men. And this I have is that what, written in my notes too, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's his strategy, and it's smart. Like, he is a good free throw shooter, especially for a big man. He shot 80.4% from the line this year. He's not Shaq. He's not Dwight Howard. He is actively seeking out contact and trying to get to the line. He averaged the second most free throw attempts per game last season, trailing only Harden. This is, It's a strategy. Like, you can see yes. it, especially when he's going against other elite bigs. Hassan Whiteside, Andre Drummond, though I shouldn't put either of those in elite bigs, but <laughs> man, those are the first names that popped into your brain. That well, was the thing that just <laughs> those are the guys who he really just eats their lunch every time. Yeah, so, I get you, I get you. Yeah, but like he he actively tries to get those guys two quick cheap fouls, get them frustrated, mm. get them out of their headspace. That is his strategy, and the Sixers are somewhat built around that. Which you know, like at a certain point, you're kind of banking on okay, we're going to get their main big in foul trouble, and then it's going to get to beat up on their backup for yeah. most of the rest of the first half. So I think 
that is one clear advantage offensively that Embiid does have over Jokic. But yes, obviously, Nikola Jokic is the best seven-foot passer of all time. This is, you know, not a controversial take. Um, he is a slightly yeah. better three-point shooter, I would argue, and I think you're right. Just a more... and even that, that's gonna we have to wait in time for that because both of them have been so erratic. There's yeah. been no consistency for either of them. Nikola was like a 28% three-point shooter last year, so right. like I agree with you. That's a wait and see moment for sure. Yeah, and I I think Embiid, you're right about the the basketball IQ and like the shot selection more so than basketball IQ because Embiid has developed as a passer mm-hmm. over the past few years. Like he is, you can see him making passes out of double teams that he wasn't making a year or two ago, and that's you know that that is the next big step in his development for all the focus on Ben Simmons jump shot. And B developing as a three-point shooter and as a passer will also help the Sixers like raise their ceiling significantly. But I think a lot of the three-point shots are, you know, you can see him running kind of slow in transition, and then he, mm-hmm. he's the trailer, and then they pass up the ball, and he's just like he looks tired, and he just takes these threes because he's like, I just don't want to go bang in the post for a possession, like I'm I'm worn down. So I think conditioning is a big factor for Embiid and it it has Mm -hmm. been for the past couple years where you can see that he gets worn down especially toward the end of the season injuries obviously played a part in that especially this past year with the the knee injury um that you know limited him to I think 14 of 24 games after the all-star break or something Mm -hmm. like that so this summer we've seen swole Embiid it seems like he's taking (laughs) his diet Uh, muscle watch off season baby it's like clockwork yeah (laughs) But for Embiid, it really might matter. Like, if he comes in to the season in the best shape of his career, you know, the Sixers now have Al Horford and Kylo Quinn. They're going to load manage Embiid strategically more than they did this past year when they made him play, like, 30 of the first 34 games and he wore down and then the knee injury popped up. There's a lot working in Embiid's favor where I think we're going to see the best Joel Embiid yet this season. But right now, I, I I agree with you. I think Jokic is the more complete offensive player, but Embiid's strengths as a interior presence at least give him the edge in that one specific category. Yeah, and I want to talk about that, but there's one funny juxtaposition that I have to talk about, and it's the fact that we're getting swole pictures of Joel Embiid and shirtless Nikola Jokic dancing in a tree. And I just <laughs> love the juxtaposition of these two players at that point. Like, that is just so fun to me. And also, this is not to say Nikola Jokic is not getting in shape. He's actually looked extremely mobile in their two exhibition games against Lithuania to the point where I was like, what the hell am I watching? Like, he should be out of shape right now. Like, he should not be comfortable in exhibition games at the very beginning of the of this stretch but hey he's looked mobile but i just feel that's so funny but i want to talk about the post-ups because you said i can't remember the exact verbiage you used but i believe you said that like he's far beyond Nikola Jokic in terms of one-on-one just like post scoring just banging down low I would almost step that back. I think Nikola Jokic is extremely underrated in terms of how much of a behemoth he is. Because mm-hmm. that dude is seven foot 255, 260 of just raw manpower. And he can absolutely score on anybody one-on-one. And then we saw that in the playoffs. That's why when everything just fell apart for Denver, because they couldn't hit a single open shot for both of the series that they played, Nikola Jokic was able to abuse whoever was in front of him at any given point. And this mm-hmm. is a guy who has been able to get to his floater against guys to to win games, you know, and hit clutch shots. This is a guy who has utilized that post up when the Nuggets just desperately need a bucket. They'd have, you know, specific play designs, obviously, for your center to get post ups, but the Nuggets require that so much when the rest of the young players kind of fall off. So for me, 
I do feel like they're closer in terms of ability just to destroy someone down low one-on-one. And that's not to take away from Joel Embiid. I think it's trying to say that Nikola Jokic is more of an offensively gifted player who does not assert himself at the same level of Joel Embiid. Plus, Joel Embiid is the guy that's taking one step and windmill dunking on you. So you kind of get the discrepancy (laughs) in terms of how you see it happen. Nikola Jokic is putting three counter moves together and people are like, oh, he's spun. Whatever. For casual fans, that doesn't exist like it does for a lot of other people. So I do think that's kind of an interesting part of it. Do you think Nikola Jokic is underrated in that one-on-one post-game kind of setting? Yeah, I mean, I think just as a scorer in general, like if you think of Jokic, you think of the passing more than the scoring if you're thinking of like a definable characteristic for him. But yeah, like he's very clearly a well-rounded player, not only as a passer, but as a rebounder and a scorer as well. So I, I do think he's underrated to that extent. I mean, I also think, I want to get your take on this too, is I think the Nuggets have done a better job building around Jokic than the Sixers have Embiid. I love they're, this take. Because they're, they're both just such, I mean, Jokic is more unique than Embiid. Like Jokic and Ben Simmons are similar in that regard, where they require a very specific team building mindset to maximize their abilities. Like, I don't know that yeah. Jokic around... If you put Jokic around next to a ball-dominant point guard who can't shoot, if you play him next to Terry Rozier, you are screwing up what you have in Nikola Jokic. Whereas Embiid, he can command double teams whenever he wants. I mean, you almost have to double team him because he's going to beat most, if not every big man, one-on-one. And yes, his passing ability is improving, but he's also being forced into so many double teams because he's playing next to a guy in Simmons who very famously will not shoot three-pointers or will not even attempt many jumpers. So they're hiding him in the dunker spot, which allows other teams to largely ignore him and send another body at Embiid. So I think, you know, the fact that the, the Nuggets have correctly and wisely surrounded Jokic with shooters and said, you know what, we're going to enable you effectively as our point center gives him an advantage in that he can kind of more fully maximize his skill set than really either Embiid or Simmons can in Philly. Also, this is a great point or a great opportunity to point out that non-shooting point guards are disappearing so fast. Nikola Jokic has probably made a combined $150 million extra for the likes of Will Barton, Gary Harrison, Jamal Murray at this point in their careers, just being Nikola Jokic. But the one player he has been negative with every single moment was Emmanuel Moutier, a non-shooting point guard who just couldn't do it. So I find that really interesting that you brought that up. The other thing is I love the idea of looking at the process Sixers now completed and the process Nuggets who refuse to stop the process. Because you talk about building around these players in different ways. Elton Brand and what came before him definitely went all in on just getting all of the talent they can get. Obviously. I mean, I think that's not that's not a crazy statement anymore. Mm-hmm. But the Nuggets have refused that. They've done the exact opposite. They have specifically targeted players who are not star caliber players in order to try and build a situation around Nikola Jokic that is advantageous for him. To me, that is trusting the process as much as anybody. Adam Mades of Denver Stiff did a phenomenal job of doing the visual of this kind of stuff and showing how the Nuggets are the last process 
process team left. And I find it really interesting how the process Sixers stopped the process and the Nuggets kind of picked up that mantle building around Nikola Jokic because that's what they did. Every decision they have made ever since drafting Gary Harris go all and all the way back was we want shooters, we want high character guys, we want unselfish players, we want high basketball IQ. And they have literally found players who fit every single one of those boxes and they have put them around Nikola Jokic and that's why I think we have seen this. So I find that super interesting that the process Sixers bailed on the process and went all in on talent. Now looking back, does that frustrate you? I would say everything from December 2015 through (laughs) April 2018 frustrates me about the Sixers process. Yeah, I would say uh, Jerry Colangelo taking, you know, whatever special advisor role he took and then ultimately forcing (laughs) Sam Hinkie out, hiring his son as general manager four days later after a very comprehensive sweeping GM search. Yeah, all of that was terrible. Um, Yes. But, you know, even that is a fair thing to even lob at Sam Hinkie is no one, even now, four years later, the Jaleel Okafor pick remains the one gigantic mystery of the Sam Hinkie era just because it was so antithetical. Not only, I mean, if maybe you're arguing, yeah, it's the best player available, worry about fit later, but he was so, so against everything Hinkie looked for in the Mm -hmm. type of prospect playing style. They had Noel and Embiid already. They, you know, I, I think ultimately they wanted the Lakers to take Okafor. They were going to take mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell, and this thing could have taken off a lot more quickly than it did. And I think, you know, going up to that draft until like the day of, I remember, you know, Okafor was widely being mocked to the Lakers. And then Kevin Ding, who worked for Bleacher Report at the time, the morning of the draft, drops an article and he's like, no, the Lakers are taking Russell at two. And that entire day, I was just like, oh, my God, yep. no, <laughs> because, I, you know, Porzingis like refused to talk to Sam Hankey. And I think Porzingis was much more of a you could see him conceptually fitting next to Embiid or next to Noel, whereas Okafor, it's like this is never going to work. And this is going to kind of snowball into two of these guys are going to get traded at some point for much less than their value. So, yeah, I think that's when you started to see cracks in the foundation and then. The whole next year is where it all just started to really go to hell. Yeah, the Okafor pick is funny, but it's not as bad as the Tyler Lydon pick. So we'll leave it there and we will move on. But um, So I believe you are next. What is, what is your next one that you have on that list? Sure. So it, this dovetails somewhat into the defense and physicality aspect. But I think rebounding, again, Embiid's got a clear advantage just if you're looking at per game metrics, if you're looking at advanced mm-hmm. metrics, you know, he was... Per game, he was 13.6 last year. Jokic was 10.8. Advanced metrics, total rebound percentage, Embiid, 21.4%. Jokic, 18.7. And again, I think it just comes down to the the body shape of Joel Embiid. He's just, I already hate this one. No. He's, so, <laughs> he's just so big, man. He's 7'2", 285. He's got a gig- He's the only one who grabs rebounds on that entire roster as everybody else gets out of the way. Nikola Jokic has that Steven Adam box out for everybody else thing going on for him too. Like that's the like oh man, rebounding is such a hard thing to quantify for me. Yeah. Because yeah. what which rebounds are important? Which rebounds are you setting up? If you're boxing someone else out and someone else gets the board, does that mean that you do not get credit for that situation? And I feel like Embiid is the he's the He's the big version of Russell Westbrook who gets a whole lot of boards from just being down there and not moving. I would 
disagree with that just because Ben Simmons is also he's a good rebounder, man. He's like yeah, averaged that's, seven that's or eight a game that's last valid. year. I mean, and Jimmy Butler is a decent rebounder too. Like this year will be the really interesting test because you mm-hmm. now have no <laughs> their starting lineup features no one shorter than six six. Like in theory, all five of their guys should be above average rebounders because they're playing against you know they're the monsters this year. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I hear you. I, I do think he gets, yeah, sure, he probably gets some uncontested ones versus some contested. I'm going to look up the box out numbers, but I Please think... Please do. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I think just in general, like, he's, he's just so physically imposing mm-hmm. that that gives him an advantage just because, you know, he, he again, he's seven foot two and he has a giant ass. And, that's yeah. and he can jump, man. That dude is not groundbound. Like no. that makes it so easy for him. And it's true. If you put Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid in the post together and threw a ball in the air, Joel Embiid is coming down with it. I'm very cognizant of how that works in a vacuum for sure. I just find it right. interesting. That's the play styles that make it interesting to me because Nikola Jokic is a high post player. Like he's not always getting down low, and he still is managing to grab those eleven boards. And he was up at like thirteen and a half in the playoffs as well. So when mm-hmm. he does decide, he is going to get down there and take control of things, which is far too infrequent. That's a big part of this discussion: is that Joel Embiid is not shy about getting everything he wants to get, and Nikola Jokic is like. He has the whole quote. He he said that he would rather make an assist as, a, as opposed to scoring because it makes two people happy, not one. Channeling is Magic Johnson. Like right. so, it's it, there's such a discrepancy between how they approach the game that it makes these conversations about who's a better rebounder so interesting because the roles are so different and the player personalities are. So I do like this discussion. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, those are all fair points about you know Jokic is going to be camped out more on the perimeter than Embiid, but. Since since you made me look up the box out numbers, yes, I'm tell jump me, on you here, do and, it. <laughs> Embiid was seventh in the NBA last year in box outs per game, behind former Nugget Yusuf Nurkic. By the way, uh, team rebounds <laughs> on box outs. He was tied for second in the league with Stephen Adams. Lamarcus Aldridge was uh-huh. the only one ahead of him. Player rebound on box outs again, third in the league, trailing only Andre Drummond and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, see, this is why I like arguing with you because I knew that you would come prepared and ready for this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't no come at me with that Beads rebound <laughs> is, is a fake Russell Westbrook rebounder. That that dude, uh, I agree with you. Ill. Russell Westbrook stat bad. pads. It's not, yeah. It's not as bad as Stephen Adams getting like six boards a game sometimes and just being like, nah, man, this is you. You're, you're going to get your fourteen today. <laughs> but, but, you know, I feel you on that one for sure. But, no, I will concede he is a better rebounder. I do agree with you in that regard. Joel Embiid is a better rebounder. But this is the one that you cannot argue. The longevity, the yep. health, the yep. durability. We have to have this discussion, whether it's for right now or down the line. Because Nikola Jokic has missed, I wrote it down, he has missed 20 total games in four years. Wow. Joel Embiid played 64 games last year, and that was yeah. a career high. Yep. So that alone, when you talk about raw statistics of Joel Embiid averaging more points, raw this, raw that, which people love to throw around when it comes to this debate, when you just play more games, your raw numbers are going to eventually be better off just because you are actually helping your team. And again, this a lot of this comes back on the Sixers. I don't want to make this seem like Joel Embiid is at fault for all of this by any stretch. The Sixers, again, did not rest him as they should have to start the year. The load management was not handled correctly, and it led to him breaking down. There's no argument here, but that's a big part of this because 
Nikola Jokic, he has the whole Marcus Gasol thing where I don't jump so I don't get hurt. Like, that is such, like, an important part of this discussion. Like, he's not explosive at all. So right. with that being said, how do you feel about the comparison looking down the line just five years? Not even ten years. I'm not trying to make this extrapolated. Just five years down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, if you're you know, starting a franchise today and you say, who do you want, Jokic or Embiid? Jokic, more than anything else, the dur- durability is what gives him the advantage over Embiid because you just aren't sure is Joel Embiid going to be playing three, four, five years down the line? What level is he going to be at? Has he suffered another major foot injury or back injury that we need to worry about? Whereas, as you said, Jokic, knock on wood, has a relatively clean mm-hmm. bill of health so far. So, yes, I think the uncertainty with Embiid makes him more... You know, of the two, it's more scary to build around him than it is Jokic, just because even, you know, even if you're hypothetically saying Embiid has a higher ceiling, he has a much lower floor. Yes, and that's the thing, is the variable difference between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. This is where I think it's really interesting, is because Nikola Jokic's floor is probably as high as any player in the league in the top 10. I think that's fair to say, just because he's so consistently a 20-10-8 and eight guy every single time he goes out there. Joel Embiid, his floor is, I'm not in the league in three, four years. So right. their upside, in my opinion, is almost the same. I wouldn't say it's the same. If Joel Embiid is healthy and just good, Joel Embiid is a better player overall. I am completely willing to cop to that. But with their ceilings being generally the same, I think that Nikola Jokic becomes the better player, the more the player you would want to build around as a good thought experiment, again, just because of that, just because the floor is so much higher. That's the perfect way to phrase it. But how much faith do you have that maybe Joel Embiid can raise that floor? Because he's played 63 games and then 64 games, so technically we're seeing improvement. But, right. we'll ha- I mean, but do you feel comfortable at all right now, or are you getting more comfortable? I, I get less nervous every time he falls on the floor than I did two years ago. So does that count as an The life of a 76ers fan sounds so unbelievably stressful, man. Like, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I'm waiting. Matisse Thybul is going to have, like, cholera soon. I, I know the guy. Sixers rookie I curse is coming for him. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he, I mean. He's going to play I, some minutes this year, and they're not, no one's going to score ever again on Philadelphia, and I cannot wait to see it. But that's, that's the completely hope. off the point, but continue. <laughs> uh, I mean, I forget. Someone on ESPN wrote the article about, like, how Joel Embiid trained himself to fall, basically, yeah. to avoid injuries. I, wasn't that Jackie Mack that did that? That I don't remember, but yeah. sure. I, well, I, whoever <laughs> did it did a great job. And it made me feel a little bit better knowing that, like, oh, there's some method behind the madness because he does hit the floor a lot. And you're like, mm-hmm. can't you just stay on your feet, man? But then it's like, actually, maybe you shouldn't stay on your feet because you're yes. you're saving yourself from impact there. Um, do I have confidence that Joel Embiid is going to be, you know, not the second coming of Greg Oden? Yes, because he's already, no matter what happens from this point forward, he's hit a higher ceiling than Greg Oden ever did. Yeah. So that's... That's good. The fact that the Sixers went out this offseason, got Al Horford, and got Kylo Quinn, who gets glossed over a lot in the discussion of their offseason, but Kylo Quinn is a very good third man, third big man. Like Yeah, and a guy that can just take up some of the physical punishment from Embiid. Same way that like Ed Davis is perfect in Utah. Right, right. I mean, like I would be surprised if Joel Embiid plays more than sixty five games this year. I'm gonna write a thing for Forbes at some point this month where you know he's got i think he's like 12 to 1 to win mvp like 
I would not bet on Joel Embiid to win MVP this year. Yeah. And it's not just because of the injury risk, but also load management. I mean, they were very strategic in going out and seeing, like, as I mentioned, you lose Game 7 by two points, and you were minus 10 in the three minutes Embiid was off the floor. We need not only, like, just an average backup, but we need someone who can really help take Embiid's load off during the regular season. And now we have Al Horford, who is a multi-time All-Star, who has played center for the Celtics for the last couple of years, who has come out and said that he wants to play power forward more. And we'll see how those two guys coexist. But he's also going to get a lot of minutes at center when Embiid's off the floor or give Embiid mm. some nights off. So I'm optimistic, at least, you know, they were talking during exit interviews, during the the introductory press conference with Horford and all the other new guys. You know, they were talking like, is Embiid on board with this plan? Is he willing to sit out more nights this year than he was last year? And Elton basically said, yeah, like, <laughs> this is why we went out and got out Horford. Of course he is. And and Pete yes. said it during his exit interviews, too. It was like, you know, they were asking, you know, seeing what happened with Kawhi Leonard. And this was before they even won the title. This is just after the Raptors beat them. Seeing what happened with him, do you need to change the way you approach the regular season next year? And he said, yeah, I mean, like, I look at Kawhi Leonard and, you know, he later came out and said, I wouldn't be in the finals if I didn't have this load management plan. Yes, I do need to be smarter. I do need to remind myself that the regular season is a marathon and not a sprint. But at the same time, last year I felt guilty because the Sixers didn't have a backup center who could even hold his water. And we often got blown out anytime it went off the floor. So I felt bad. Like I didn't want to be costing my team. So now that they have a Horford, to have a Kylo Quinn, have some other options, I have faith that Embiid is going to be smarter about the way he approaches the season. And again, as I mentioned, muscle watch is in full effect. He looks swole. He looks to be in good, good shape, hopefully the best shape of his career. You know, I think he's done everything possible to mitigate the risk of an injury, but it's still basketball. Like, weird stuff happens. I can't say for sure that he's going to be, you know, I don't know what his future holds in 2022 or 2023. I just know that if he stays healthy, he has one of the highest ceilings in the league. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. And I think an interesting part of this, too, is I'm so curious why he plays. Because what is he playing, like 36 and a half minutes a game or something like that, he was, if I remember correctly? Yeah, it was like somewhere in that range. It, it was it was just like too many. I don't remember the yeah, exact. Yeah, and that's the, thing that, that's the point I was going to make. Nikola Jokic played like 31.3 minutes a game in the regular season. That was planned. It was not because Nikola couldn't handle it. This is a guy who played 65 minutes in a single game in the playoffs. Right. So it's not that he can't handle more minutes. It was just premeditated that they weren't going to do it. They were like, no, we're not going to kill you. So yeah. I wonder if Joel Embiid will be okay with Kyle O'Quinn and Al Horford in a front court together off the bench for a six-minute stretch. Like, is he going to be comfortable sitting for six to eight minutes for stretches? Or is that – because I understand that, sure, I'll play less games. Mm-hmm. I get that he could be comfortable with that. But when you start losing your minutes load during games, your rhythm changes, your comfortability with your role changes. I'm wondering if they're even willing to broach that conversation. If they do, how Embiid would even be willing to react to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from Elton's comments and from Joel's comments, it seems like they're talking about both minutes per game Good. and games played, and I think that's the smart approach. I just think in general, like, Embiid knows, you know, maybe he's just never going to be a 35-minute-per-game player, 
and that's okay. If you're per game production or you're per If you can do it in the playoffs and you can win, that's what matters. It's not right. about playing 35 in the regular season. Yeah, especially if you can if your team can win with you playing only 28 instead of 34, 35, who gives a damn, man? Save your body. The like the real all that matters happens in mid-April and afterward. Just get there, get to the finish line and then we can start, you know, talking about really boosting your minutes up from there. I'm with you. I'm with you. So now that we have gone through, because you got all three of your lists done, right? I didn't lose track throughout this process. Yeah, technically free throws and, you know, I knew you were yeah. going to go into scoring. So, uh, yeah, free throws was my, yeah. my third. I knew we were going to cross match. I knew that was going to happen at some point. Yeah, yeah. So now that we've talked about this, give me your pitch for who is better and why. So I think. I'm going to make you do it first. You're, you're, you're the one that's on this spot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the way I said it earlier is really how I feel about these guys. I think Embiid, and you said it as well, you said if Embiid is fully healthy and in shape and can make it through a whole season, he has the higher ceiling of the two. But the floor is so much lower than Jokic that, you know, if I'm saying I'm going to build a team from scratch, who would I build around? It's just how much risk are you willing to take? And if you're willing to gamble on the upside, you maybe go Embiid. And if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm good with Jokic is going to be a top 10 player in this league for a long time. I'm good with that. I don't necessarily need Joel Embiid's upside. If I have the floor of Jokic, I go with Jokic. You know, having watched the Sixers for the last five years, it's hard to like take the emotion out of it because Embiid is just such, he's really the the emotional pulse of this team like when he was sick during the Raptors series in games four and five especially game five you know they got blown out I think by like 30 plus points or they were losing by 30 for much of that game yeah it was a 35 point game in the third quarter I remember watching that one yeah it was brutal and you could just see like he was so lethargic and out of it he's not communicating on defense And I think that's a big part of the value he brings, not only his physical impact as a defender, but, you know, the the cliche is like the quarterback of the defense. He really is like without him communicating the way he usually does, they they just had nothing. They had no answer. And then he comes back in game six and he's, you know, at least (laughs) at least could fake that he was healthy again. And they look like a totally different team. So it's hard to say. It's just, I think it really comes down to how much risk you're willing to take. But yeah, I'm. I, I just believe in Joel Embiid's upside. I believe there's still. I I you know Giannis gave the quote earlier this summer. Where he's like, I'm only sixty percent of what I can be. I think the same's probably true with Joel Embiid. I, I agree. I think there are just you know obvious areas he can he can still improve his shot selection, his decision making, his passing. He can cut down on his turnovers. He can just be smarter with his minutes load so we can get him to the playoffs healthy. If yeah. all of those things happen, I'm confident, you know, I've seen some people say, like, I don't think Joel Embiid could be the number one option on a championship team because of this. That's so foolish. It's yeah, so like, foolish. Joel Embiid could easily be the number one option on a championship mm-hmm. team. If Kawhi Leonard didn't hit a four-bounce shot, we might be talking about Joel Embiid as the option, the number one option yep. on a current championship team. Like the Sixers 
were a title. Could you imagine team. like Demarcus Cousins on one leg trying to defend Joel Embiid in the finals? Like that would have been a disaster. It would have been a bloodbath if that would have gotten to that point. So that's not yeah. crazy at all. He would have been the best player on a likely championship team at that point. Right. And I mean, I'm going to go to my grave saying this, but I think the Raptors were a worse matchup for the Sixers this past year than the Bucks. I think. Had no, the, I agree with that. Yeah. Had the Sixers gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals, I do believe they would have gotten to the Finals. And then, you know, does Kevin Durant, who knows, does he tear his Achilles again? Hopefully not. Does Clay Thompson tear his ACL? Hopefully not. Who knows how the Finals would have gone? But, you know, I, I just think, you know, we could fast forward in a year from now and Joel Embiid could be an NBA champion and, you know, the number one option on the team, with all due respect to Tobias Harris, who is being paid more than him. <laughs> And also got just eviscerated by Kawhi Leonard in that series. So let's right. be very clear about how his defense is. But yes. that's my favorite part about this is that Joel Embiid is a top 10 player. He's a walking top 10 defense. Nikola Jokic is a top 10 player and a walking top 10 offense. Like, I just love, like, it doesn't matter. There is no wrong answer here. If people really are so hard-lined on this, they're already completely lost in this process as it is. Because, let's be very frank, this is probably the ninth and 10th best players in the league. They were separated by, like, 30 All-NBA points. Like, you're talking as minute of a difference between the two of them in overall value as you can create. That's right. why this conversation continues to exist in this NBA Twitter and internet world that we live in is because it is so close. So that's why I like these conversations, though. Like, sports aren't supposed to be black and white answers. Like, it's nice to have no idea. Because I think both of us are very well aware that we could be completely wrong with how we feel right now about both of these players because things can change so drastically. That's why mm -hmm. I love this league, man. This league, like, it's a bottle of wine between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant and the league blows up for five years like there's just so much of a chaotic factor and it's so much fun and that's why I like this conversation so I really appreciate you taking the time to come talk about all of this foolishness that is going to end up with our mentions being a hellscape for the next week but sure. regardless I had so much fun doing it um did you have anything else you had that you didn't get off your chest about Joel Embiid or, or Nikola Jokic that you wanted to well you didn't say who you would take Oh, it's Nikola Jokic. I think Nikola nah. Jokic is baseline. And this is the thing. I think that Nikola Jokic is probably closer to Joel Embiid defensively than Joel Embiid is to Nikola Jokic offensively right now. And I know that is a hot take. That one is a stretch. I think the gaps are actually bigger in Nikola Jokic's favor offensively than the gap between them defensively. But that's... You got thoughts. Let it go. No, no, yeah, let it no, out. I, I mean, it's an interesting... Because, yeah, you, I think, because I know Sixers Twitter is going to be all over this. Jokic's defense is definitely underrated. He is not mm -hmm. as bad of a defender as his reputation has him out to be. And it, it, I think this debate really comes down to risk tolerance. And then what do you want out of your starting center? As you said, Nikola yeah. Jokic is a walking top 10 offense. But do you feel that you could build a title team around a center who isn't necessarily an elite defender? Or do you want an elite defender who can get you buckets, you know, go to the free throw line, get you buckets, but isn't necessarily the best decision maker offensively, at least at the time. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I think a lot of it, as you said, it, this could change at any given moment. I think like the interesting thing is like, all right, Elton Brand calls Tim Connolly, says Nikola Jokic <laughs> for Joel Embiid straight up. I don't know that either team says yes to that. No, they both say no and hang up really fast. Right, which I think, you know, speaks to, as you said, like, this is, there are millimeters in this debate. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not, 
there is no clear-cut answer, which, as you said, it, it makes it really fun. So, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm happy to debate anything aside from Ben Simmons' jump shot. It <laughs> sounds like a plan, man. I just hope we get to see both of these teams in a finals. I want to watch the non-process Sixers against the process Nuggets and just literally see how this dukes out over seven games on the biggest platform, and it might actually happen. There's, what, like nine teams this year who could realistically win a title that have like a better than 10% chance? So this could be the year where we find out all these questions that everyone keeps yelling about anyway. So <laughs> I cannot wait to see it. Thank you again so much. Tell everybody where to find you. I know I said a little bit at the top, but give your own little feel for yourself yes uh you can find i host the nba podcast with morton jensen a disgraced bulls fans you can find that <laughs> wherever podcasts are found itunes stitcher all that good stuff you can also find me freelancing at forbes where i write about the sixers and some salary cap stuff uh the b-ball writers which is basketballwriters.com and fansided perfect thank you again man it was so much fun and i'm sure we'll be talking again in the near future Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on.